We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, well, we are off and rolling, and technically I'm in two places at once right now, as you know, if you're, if you're listening to this quote-unquote live, or watching this quote-unquote live, <laughs> and uh, Vince and I had to record a little bit earlier today because we get to talk to both coordinators over at Notre Dame tonight after practice, which is, you know, we were just talking before we started this up, Vince, that is a big rarity to it's get true any kind of assistant coaches during the season. So we got to jump on that when we can get it. You got that right. But if anybody can be in two places at once, buddy, it's you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. Well, this is not the start that anyone envisioned for this Notre Dame <laughs> football team. 0-2 after the loss to Marshall, of course. And Marcus Freeman is 0-3 in terms of uh, his first three games at Notre Dame. We're going to talk a lot about Marcus Freeman in today's show. Um, first Notre Dame head coach to ever begin his tenure, 0-3. I think by now probably most fans have probably heard that. Brian Kelly started 1-3. Lou Holtz started 1-4. and four, You know, and I know a lot of people are kind of falling back on that. And, you know, I've heard people kind of point to those when comparing this slow start for Marcus Freeman to, to the likes of Brian Kelly and Lou Holtz. So what do you think about that comparison when you see those starts one and three, one and four versus Marcus Freeman's zero and three. Well, you know, it's tough because I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be the case, right? I mean, yes. Oh, and two was very, very possible after he already lost the Fiesta bowl and you had Ohio state, you know, waiting in the wings, right? Oh, and three was unfathomable, right? <coughs> Excuse me. That was sneaking up on me. Okay. So 0-3 was unfathomable. I didn't see that one coming a mile away, and I don't think anybody else did either. Comparing it to Lou Holtz and comparing it to Jerry Faust is difficult for me because this is not the team, the type of team that those guys inherited. Those guys inherited teams from fired coaches, right? I mean, it, it, or I shouldn't – Jerry Faust didn't inherit a fired team, did he? A fired coach, did he? Help Jerry Faust? Here. No, I don't believe so. Yeah, but – Obviously, Lou Holtz inherited Jerry Faust's mess, and that was a complete rebuild. And so, you know, not surprising, they're not going to start off that well. Well, 
Marcus Freeman inherited a roster that was college football playoff caliber. No matter what anybody says, that's what my contention. And starting and I, I starting 0 and 3 is tough for me. I would say 0 and 2. I mean, I'm not explaining away the Fiesta Bowl because if he won it, everybody'd be like, "Well, Marcus Freeman was the first guy to win uh New Year's Six Bowl and you know, he'd be getting all the right. credit for it. So right. he should get the blame. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of things are different this year with the coaching staff, the, you know, all of it. It's all different. Yeah. And so I tend to look at it as 0 and 2. Even if he won that game, I would say 0-2, to be honest with you. Sure. But either way, it's not okay. He inherited a roster that is so much better than what those other guys inherited. He should not be 0-2. He should be 1-1, and you should still have all of your aspirations ahead of you, and that is clearly not the case. So it's hard for me to compare it to Lou Holtz and, and Jerry Fowler, I mean, and and uh, all of those guys. Like, it's very difficult for me, but... I mean, I guess I get it. It's trying to make people feel better, but and that's I, don't I think know. that's pretty much what it is. You know, I guess there's a little piece where you can say, well, they started off slow and things turned around, right? So, you know, but you're absolutely right. These are it's it's kind of an apples to oranges thing because of the fact that when most coaching changes are made, and specifically yes. when these coaching changes have been made historically at Notre Dame. There have been very few handoffs of the baton from one successful regime to another, like Parsegian to Divine, for you know, example. You know, that's I mean, and that's been what forty some years ago now. More than that, at this point, you know, most of them are Bob Davy to Tyrone Willingham, Tyrone Willingham to Charlie Weiss, Charlie Weiss to Brian Kelly. You've got a a coach that was unsuccessful. Sure, you had to get rid of him, and you brought in someone to take over, and there had to be a roster rebuild. Like right. Lou Holtz, you know, well, when Jerry Faust took over, and when and, you know, again, when Brian Kelly, when Charlie Weiss took over, yeah, and and the roster wasn't bare when Willingham uh, left it to Charlie Weiss. That's why Charlie Weiss had so much success because there was offensive talent there. And the problem for Charlie Weiss was he did not recruit defensive talent, and then of course build up his players and you know that kind of a thing. I mean, we don't need to get into that, but the point I'm making is. Weiss had a, a decent roster to deal with, and therefore he was successful when he first started. But it pales in comparison to the roster that Marcus Freeman had. I mean, I look, I'm as big a Marcus Freeman apologist as anybody, and maybe that'll come out as we go through this show. But at the same time, this is inexcusable. You, you had a roster that should be competing for a national championship, and you're sitting here 0-2 after a loss to a Sunbelt team. That's, that's, that's not okay. There are no excuses to make for that. Yep, exactly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, there's, there's a big difference when you're a team that just missed out on the college football playoff and went to a New Year's Six Bowl, and, and that's the roster you inherit. I know everyone loves, likes to talk about some inexperience and all these different things, but there's a lot of experience, and there's still a Absolutely. lot of cohesion within the roster. And it's and, and and again, like if you want to look at it even long term, that team last year was obviously at the tail end of five consecutive double digit yeah. win seasons, you know. So Absolutely. that's there's again, it's apples to oranges and you know, maybe even pears to grapes, you know, I don't know, <laughs> or, or pears to lemons. I don't I don't know exactly what you'd call it. Bob Davy also started one and four. Jerry Faust started one and two. Things obviously did not work out. For those right. guys, you know, right. so pointing, pointing, what we do know is Notre Dame has not looked very favorably or the Notre Dame job has not looked very favorably upon first time head coaches. And that's kind of, that's, that's the direction that we're going to go today, you know, kind of looking at where Marcus Freeman is and, and looking, is he the guy for this? And by the way, you know, I, 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 I chose that title because you know we're going to talk about is Marcus Freeman the guy for this job a first time head coach and all that stuff but the that that was the title of a better call Saul uh, episode a couple years back from a, well a, a season past it came to mind right away and I thought well that's kind of a catchy little title we'll just go ahead and use that so well and done. as Brian Driscoll was telling me it's a little vague what does it exactly mean well it was meant to be a little bit vague so it teased our listeners and drew them into this podcast yes, today come, <laughs> that's exactly right us. that's exactly right they, they've got to figure out exactly what it means so here we are to kind of uh go with the whole thing so after the loss freeman downplayed his inexperience as a head coach you know as a factor in the struggles that notre dame has had so far and again you can write off Ohio State because they're the number Absolutely. two team in the country. You can't write off Marshall because right. they're a Sun Belt Conference team. They're a Group of Five team, which you paid over a million dollars to come to your stadium and beat you. That's exactly right. That's I mean, exactly right. You paid again, a lot of money to get there's them. Not to a lot of excuses State. here. They're just yeah. not. And I was watching the NFL Network today now, and they're using, you know, highlights from that Marshall win and they're pumping hard Marshall versus Bowling Green coming up on whatever, you know, network it's going to be on this weekend. So everyone's trying to jump on the Marshall train right now. Hey, Bowling but, Green uh, played well against UCLA for like a half. So there you go. Yes. This could be, this could be a great matchup. That's right. That's right. So there's this thing called the Peter principle. Have you ever heard of this Vince? Not before I read your email. Okay. So, <laughs> You may or may not have heard of it. Vince hasn't. That's fair. It's a theory that came from a book many, many years ago. A guy named Lawrence Peter wrote this book. And it basically says, and, you know, Peter, Peter Principle, 
if he had a better last name, it might be a little bit catchier, but it's at least got some alliteration, I guess. <laughs> of course, he named it after himself. But, no surprise yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. But it says that people get promoted to their level of incompetence. In other words, you've got whatever job that you've got within whatever company, you get promoted from salesman to director of sales. You know, now you're managing the entire sales department. Maybe if you do good in that position, you get promoted to general manager where now right. you're leading, you know, more departments and all that. You know, you keep going up the food chain until you can't move any farther. And you know, this this was something that that, that came up a lot when I was in the military actually. It's, you know, you get promoted and you know, there's different levels of leadership and you, again, you go up the chain of command and you get promoted to a point where essentially you are now ineffective. You again, you get promoted to your level of in, incompetence, where you know, you're, you're not effective. You know, however, in in sports is a perfect. You know, like especially football. I think like you're a position coach in football. You're doing great as a position coach. You're well renowned as you know running backs coach or whatever it happens to be. You get made an offensive coordinator. Now, and if you're a good offensive coordinator, eventually you become a head coach. Well, maybe sometimes you get to coordinator and that's your level of incompetence. You're not such a great coordinator. Next thing you know, you're a position coach again. Or again, if you're successful, then you become a head coach. But if you're not a good head coach, then you end up being a coordinator once again. And there are a lot of different examples of this. One of the first ones who came to mind was uh, Wade Phillips. Great example. Guy who was, he was a coach forever. Great defensive coordinator in the NFL. Son of Bum Phillips. And, you know, he was a great defensive coordinator. Kept getting head coaching jobs, but he flopped every time. So, like, he'd get a head coaching job. Wouldn't work out very well. He, he was a head coach, Denver, Buffalo, and Dallas. I forgot and, about Denver. Yeah, he would. So, so he would do great as a defensive coordinator. He'd become a head coach. Never won a playoff game as a head coach. He'd get bounced back down to coordinator. He'd run a great defense for a few years, and then the next thing you know, he's a head coach again, and it kept happening. So essentially, you know, that was his level of incompetence. Was he was not made made to be a head coach, but he was a great defensive coordinator. You know, you can kind of hide as an assistant coach. I think. And you've been, Absolutely. you know, you've been a coach at different levels. You can hide as a, as oh, yeah. a, an assistant. You can't hide as a head coach though. Right. Nope. Completely agree with that. And it's a, it's a very interesting theory. And I, I'm going to say that no matter what level of business that you're in, you've seen this firsthand. Right. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. you, maybe it's somebody close to you. Maybe it's somebody that becomes your boss that maybe didn't deserve it or whatever, but we've all seen this, right? You, you hit your ceiling at some point, whether it's, you hit your ceiling at CEO or you hit your ceiling as lead guy on, you know, the assembly line or whatever. Everybody has a ceiling. I mean, it is what it is, man. My ceiling is color commentary, baby. I am not a play-by-play -play guy. That's where my level of incompetence lies. There I've seen go. it before. There so, you go. <laughs> so it's, it's good to know your own limitations. But That's right. I, I will, but seriously, I have seen it in many lines of work that I've had. And I guarantee everybody in the chat has seen this at some point or another in their line of work. Well, and since this is a Notre Dame podcast, I think the one that, that everyone would probably identify with the most is Charlie Weiss. And you brought 100%. him up earlier. Great example that I think that Notre Dame fans 
can identify with. Great offensive coordinator, obviously, with the Patriots. He had his Super Bowl rings, as he liked to let everyone know. Yes. You know, w- walked in the door with his Super Bowl rings. You know, and because he won those Super Bowls and because he had the connection to Notre Dame, even though he never played football, obviously, at Notre Dame or anywhere else, he comes in, has a great couple of years with Brady Quinn, Jeff Samarja, Tommy Zabikowski, and those guys. But then what happens? Well, those guys graduate. And he finds out there's more to college football than, you know, just having a decided schematic advantage and, and you know, being nasty and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if co- I, I've said this before, if college football was like the NFL and he could have held on to that core group like you can in the NFL for several years, I think Notre Dame, you know, would have been pretty good yeah, for a while. Good call. But you obviously Not, can't do that. Yeah. You've. You know, you've got roster turnover, and that brought you three and seven in 2007. Right. You have to be able to develop that roster as well. Right. And that obviously was not happening. He was right. He came to Notre Dame as an acclaimed offensive coordinator, and that's exactly what he did at Notre Dame. He recruited offensive players. He was an offensive coordinator slash head coach whose offense was prolific and whose defenses were lacking behind because right. that was not a priority for him. I mean, he did a great job as an offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Let's be honest, right? But as a head coach, he didn't understand how to build a program, how to build a college program. And that situation continued on at his other stops as well. He, well, I mean, you saw it I, you know, I realized, ways, buddy. Yeah, I realized people around here, you know, weren't paying that close attention to Kansas. You know, the, the headline is Charlie Weiss got that big contract at Kansas and then got fired after a couple of years. Obviously, being a Kansas alum, you know, I've looked and read and, you know, kind of followed up on it. I mean, he got fired in 2014 after he was head coach there for a couple of years. He tries this roster overhaul. He tried to use the blueprint that Bill Snyder did at Kansas State by bringing in JUCO guys. And then, you know, he like kicked some guys off the team who were doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. And, you know, there, there was some virtue to some of the things that he was doing. But a lot of those JUCO guys he brought in were non-qualifiers. And then, you know, like coming yeah. out of high school. So, they, you know, they, they didn't have good grades. And so then they, they end up, they were not making grades at Kansas. So he gets fired in 2014. After they fired him, you know, the, the scholarship limit is obviously 85. They had 60 scholarship players on the roster wow. after they fired him. And because of the fact that you cannot, you know, so they're 25 behind. Because of the fact that you can't oversign, they are just now catching up with the roster to getting the scholarship numbers back to where they need to be eight years later. So, like you talk about, you know, not not being able to run a program that is just, you know, like had that happened at a place like Notre Dame or Alabama or someplace else, it would have been much more highly publicized what happened with that roster. But I still say Charlie Weiss would have been a and could still be a great NFL offensive coordinator, no doubt. even college coordinator. But he's yeah. not meant to be a college head coach. Hey, maybe maybe at this point you welcome Charlie back with open arms. Hey, you want to be the OC <laughs> here at Notre Dame? Right. Might be an opening. No, I'm just kidding. That's I, right. I'm I'm obviously playing to the chat right now, but uh, yeah, but no, I I agree with you. I think that Charlie could be a very good offensive coordinator. Now, financially, he doesn't need to. He's sitting on a pile of money right now. He doesn't even need to work. But he could, and I think he would be a very successful offensive coordinator. I do too. Someplace, too. as long as there was a strong head coach, you know what yeah. I mean. Somebody that what that could tell him what to do when it comes to developing 
the players and you know all of those different things like he and that can be tough at this point when you are sitting on a you know stack of money and you've got that jersey attitude and everything else that charlie has and you know yeah but i think he's content watching following his son and going that route right now who's doing great himself who's you know he's gone the college route and absolutely it's, it's worked out well for him but the average tenure for an FBS football coach is 3.8 years. And part of it is because of guys like this promoted to their level of incompetence. They get a job as a head coach, they wash out, and then, you know, they go back to being a coordinator or whatever. And maybe they become an NFL assistant or whatever it happens to be. So again, this brings us to where we are with Marcus Freeman. Now, again, it's only been three games total and two games this season, but we've got a lot of people already, especially after Marshall Saturday, calling for Marcus Freeman's head. So uh, it's at least worth the discussion. What we have seen so far, two games, again, a lot of people calling for Marcus Freeman. My question to you, do you think Marcus Freeman falls into this category? Is he at a point where you can say, well, he's in over his head. He shouldn't be a head coach right now. What do you think? Well, is he learning on the job? Yes, he is learning on the job. I don't think there's any debating that, right? Has there, there have been more bumps in the road for me with him than I anticipated, if I'm being honest, because in a short amount of time, absolutely. Because it, look, it, it, being a head coach is more than just what happens on Saturdays. If we're talking college football, right. It, it's yes. also what happens Sunday through Friday. And it's also what happens in the off season. And Marcus Freeman won the off season. There's no doubt about that. He's a dynamic recruiter. I thought, thought, he hired a really good coaching staff. I, I really did. I thought he had a really good coaching staff under his belt. I, you know, Brian has has insinuated that there's some other parts of the program that still need to be kind of uh, shed, I guess, and replaced, you know, behind the scenes. But that I honestly can't speak to that. I'm not 100% sure what that's all about. But, you know, it, it felt to me like he made some hard decisions on some of the coaches that he didn't retain after the Fiesta Bowl. And so that, to me, that's a head coach. You know, you're, you're able to make those tough decisions, right? Yeah. I thought that he hired a good staff. I thought that he handled recruiting very well. It was a it was a well-organized machine. Yes, part of that is Chad Bowden, no doubt about it. But you still have to be willing to do all of the stuff that he was doing, which was not the case in the past. So... I thought he was checking all the boxes. I really did. Now, originally when he said, you know, we want to be a team that's going to run the ball and stop the run and all that, it sounded good. Like, it sounded very much like a defensive-minded coach and what he would want to do as a head coach. I had no problem with that. The problem started to arise when they were clearly not that team, at least in the first two games, and there was no change. But they kept that's sticking with that, exactly. thinking that that's what they are. Yeah, That is my biggest problem up to this point is, is it stubbornness? Is it ignorance? I'm not sure. I don't know what that is yet, right? It, that was very frustrating for me. Now, this situation, losing Tyler Buckner to injury for the season – Starting 0-2 with a lot of your goals and aspirations pretty much set to the side at this point. I feel like it's an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button. Now, I know Notre Dame fans aren't going to want to hear that because of the aspirations that everybody had. But I think, you know, is he over his head? 
I think he checks a lot more boxes than he doesn't check right now. I still so agree with that. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt moving forward, but I need to see some adaptation. I really need to see some adaptation moving forward. I, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't think he's over his head yet because he does check a lot of boxes, but you've got to get the game day and the preparation stuff right. Otherwise, it, that other stuff doesn't matter. Right. Because at his press conference Monday, he said, you know, he kind of alluded to the fact that maybe the focus that he was giving the team wasn't in the right place. You know, like there's all those cliches that we would hear from Brian Kelly about traits and the process and, you know, all those basically coaching cliches that you hear from just about everybody. And they are cliches, but but they become cliches just because you hear them repeated so often, especially like the thing about the process and like listening to Marcus Freeman yesterday, it sounds like maybe the process was lost a little bit and it became maybe too outcome driven as opposed to, you know, just, just focus on this rep right now, you know, and that kind of stuff and, you know, making sure that your focus is as narrow as possible. And that's kind of what's shown up a little bit when we've seen some of the play that they've had, you know, from play to play, series to series. I completely agree with what you're talking about. Cause like we haven't seen Marcus Freeman make, you know, like, and we're going to talk about what happened in the Monday night football game a little bit, how that game ended in rapid wow. fire. We haven't seen market, you know, like if the game against Marshall had come down to, they've got fourth and five and Marcus Freeman decides to kick a 64 yard field goal rather than trying to, right. you know, when he's got all three timeouts sure. and you know, that kind of thing we're probably having a different conversation even today, you know, because we haven't seen those red flags. He's making stupid decisions. I agree. And that's what everybody was worried about going in, right? Because of the end of the first half again, the Fiesta bowl and some of the, you know, time management. And like people were worried about the nuts and the bolts of managing a game. And we, I I mean, he hasn't really had an opportunity, but he hasn't screwed anything up in that regard. It's, <laughs> right. it's the preparation. That's, I mean, that's a low bar. Plan. You haven't screwed anything I, up. I know it is. But, I'm with you. It is a low bar right but, now. But, I mean, what's distressing is there was enough goodwill coming out of, you know, as frustrating as it was to watch how the game unfolded against Ohio State and to be leading and then see the game get away from Ohio State, but to be in that game on the road and all the, you know, all the factors that we've talked about, first-time head coach, you know, first-time – starting quarterback, all those things to go from that to losing at home the next week to Marshall, you, you know, you, you, you lose a lot of faith, I think. And that's, Oh yeah, no doubt. The he common, lost on that goodwill. Right. The common thread through the first couple games is something you touched on. It it's felt to me like watching the Fiesta bowl, watching the Ohio state game, you know, again, the Fiesta is still a little bit of a one-off, but in both instances, they went into a game with a very specific game plan. Obviously, it worked for a while against Oklahoma State. It worked, you know, a different game plan, but that worked for a while against Ohio State. Sure. But there was no counterpunch. There was never right. an adjustment yes. to to the other team making an adjustment to them. There was never a counter, you know, so it was like a that to me was an inexperienced coach going in with a very specific this is this is what we need to do. You always have to have that, but if that you can go to, but if they, but if this happens, then we need to adjust and, and right. go on to this or whatever the game tells you, you know, over the course of the, there was never that counterpunch. Now we saw a little bit of counterpunch against Marshall, but the problem obviously was they would go to their change up and then 
for whatever reason, they would go back and start throwing yeah. fastballs all over the place. You know, like not finding odd. the strike zone with the fastball after the changeup of the curveball was working. Yeah. No, I agree. And that was odd. And that, again, doesn't show the – I don't know if it's the – the faith in the changes or, or what it is exactly. And that, that is disturbing. There, there's no doubt about it. And again, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to prove himself moving forward. Like I said, this is kind of a reset button moment, but and I, I also failed to mention the fact that again, this is an off season thing, but it, it is a box that I think he checked in a good way was, you know, reaching back out to the alumni and like all of those different things like he checked all of those boxes. I mean, he right. won the off season, but like the preparation for the actual games is like, man, that's what being a head coach is. Yes. That's where I need you to be. And I'm hoping I'm praying that he can learn from these two games. I was hoping he learned from the Ohio state game. We wouldn't have this issue, but he needs to learn moving forward that, You've got to adapt because not everything that you plan going in is going to be effective and it's going to work. See, and look, you know, like I know a lot of people love the fact that they went back to the victory march from the Basilica. Sure. You know, to the, to the yeah, stadium on that. game day. They, you know, yeah. they changed that. You know, but again, like you had won double digit games five years in a row and you weren't doing this. Like, was that a change that you needed to make right away? Again, you know, I, I realize a lot of the, alumni and people you know close to the program who were used to that back in the day love that but you know again they're like that's buying into an intangible that doesn't necessarily have direct effect on how sure. you know so just like everybody you know he he won the off season with the recruiting he won the off season with making a decision like that making that announcement we're going back and we're going to start doing sure. the march you know we're going to do game day mass and and yeah. all these things and that they also everything sounded great in theory, but at the end of the day, how are you going to manage the week in terms of preparation to getting your guys yeah. ready? And how are you going to manage that Saturday? We haven't seen the right. fatal flaws again on Saturday, but this doesn't look like a team that is completely focused on what it needs to be focused on. Yeah. Right now. Well, and, and that's the and biggest knock. Right. And I will also say, and I kind of mentioned this yesterday and maybe other shows, I don't know. They all run together. They all blend together at some they point. They do. Right? They do. But what I will say is, regardless of whatever game plan Notre Dame had coming into the Marshall game, okay, it shouldn't have mattered. The, the game plan should not have mattered. If Notre Dame right. just executes, if they just execute, they well, see, and that's what he's, that's what he's falling back on now. Well, if we execute, well, you're the head but coach and ultimately doesn't you're responsible yeah, exactly. for them not executing. And that's my, that I think that's my bigger issue is that, right. you know, we had a lot of faith in Harry. He We had a lot of faith in coach Stuckey. You know, we had a lot of faith in coach Reese, right? And I know I'm kind of sticking to the offensive side of the ball here, but at the same time you gave up 21 points. You should have been able to score more than that. So I am picking on the offense. Well, but you can okay. also, you can also flip it around and, you know, talk about complimentary football and say, if the offense sustains longer drives and keeps sure. the defense off oh, absolutely. the field. That minimizes opportunities for Marshall, you know, to score with no their doubt. Offense. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I am picking on the offense. I think it's more their problem than it is the defense, even yeah. though the defense gave up two 95-yard drives to lose both games. Right. But the offense is the bigger issue here for me. You have to be able – the buck stops with the head coach. You hired those right. guys. They need to prepare their players. They clearly weren't prepared. 
the offensive line wasn't prepared. The wide receivers weren't prepared. The offensive coordinator's game plan wasn't prepared. Like it was not, there was a, a lack of preparation and that falls on the head coach. No well, doubt again, about it. I brought this up yesterday. <clears throat> like you can, you know, Tommy Reese is catching even more heat right now than Marcus Freeman, because, you know, I think Marcus Freeman, because of the off season and the, you know, the top ranked recruiting class that he had sure. forever, you know, that has carried a lot of weight and people are still, Absolutely. you know, kind of buying into that, you know, there, there's, at least, you know, at least some people saying, well, you know, it might not be going great right now, but you know, these, once these guys start getting here and that kind of thing, sure. He's, he's bought a lot of equity with that. Absolutely. Tommy Reese is catching a lot of blame because there were a lot of, you know, people who didn't want Tommy Reese to begin with. And we can talk, you know, the head coaches had at least some input on these game plans, you know, like absolutely the Ohio, the Ohio state game plan specifically, you know, like they went in with a very specific idea while Marcus Freeman was not calling plays. He and Tommy Reese, you know, combined minds for, for sure. what they wanted to do in that game and what kind of personnel they wanted to do. Marcus Freeman wanted to shorten the game and, and do all those kind of things. The, you know, the Marshall game, I still have to think he had at least some input, especially like if you go back to, you know, there was all the talk about Tommy Reese's autonomy and the Fiesta sure. Bowl, or you're giving him too much of the reins and all this different stuff. Now we've obviously seen three different, completely, you know, completely different game plans. But I guess my point is, that I said yesterday, even if Marcus Freeman isn't calling plays and he's not sending personnel units onto the field, you know, from, from play to play series to series, once we, w- once you see what is working and what is not working, right. the head coach, all he's got to do is tell the offensive coordinator is that's working. I wanted, I want more of that. That's yes. not working. I want less of that. You know, right. it's as simple as that. So so right. yeah, while Tommy Reese is the one literally calling the plays and that kind of thing, the head coach still has no complete doubt. oversight, you know, and complete, you know, the ability to overrule anything and say, this is what I want out right. there. You know, again, he might not be calling plays, but he can say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. I could not agree more. And that's that's where I have a hard time defending Marcus Freeman and just throwing Tommy Reese under the bus. Yes, right. Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator. No doubt about it. Is and Marcus Freeman was a defensive-minded coach. He was always on the defensive side of the ball. I get that right. too. Somebody in the chat the other day said something about you know his his complete lack of offensive knowledge hurting this team. He doesn't have a complete lack of offensive knowledge in order to be a successful defensive coordinator. You, you have, have to, to understand, understand offense. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, uh, Brian told a story a few years ago, last year, whenever about a coach that he once coached for who was a defensive-minded coach. And he literally wrote a playbook. Like his coach wrote a playbook, an offensive playbook, and it was basically everything that he had trouble defending as a defensive coordinator, essentially, and turned Uh that into an offense. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Defensive coordinators understand offense, okay? Right. Like, he gets it. It's not – it's not like, I don't know. What do we, we do when we have the ball? I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. it, it, it's, it's like, not like on, he's people. ignorant of the other side right. of the ball just because right. that's, you know, where he has right. to be. That's so that right. part's getting way overplayed. But if we are accurate, and I believe we are, that means some of the blame has to fall on him for the offensive right. struggles. So – Yes. I think it does. I think it does. I mean, and, and again, he's the head coach. So no matter what happens with this team, it falls on him. But he understands offense. He does see what works and what doesn't work. You've got to stick with it. You, you, you have to. And if he's not telling Tommy Reese to stick with what was working with, with uh, Tyler Buckner, then that's on him. Yeah. That's on him. So let's see what he can do with Drew Pine, I guess. At the end of the day, you're already an 0-2 team. There are 10 games to go in this regular season. Now you've got yes, your number two quarterback out there. Right. But there were going to be there was going to be a learning curve for Marcus Freeman. Sure. We just didn't know to what extent that learning right. curve was going to be. Yeah. And when you lose to Marshall, again, <laughs> it becomes pretty glaring pretty quickly what the curve right. is. And when you know, when you make some of those mistakes that you make, but the, the biggest question is. What's Marcus Freeman going to learn from this? How right. quickly is he going to be able to turn those lessons into results right. this season? And then kind of on the back of that, what's it going to mean going forward after this season? Because Marcus right. Freeman, barring them going 0-12 this year, right. I can't see Marcus Freeman losing his job this year. I agree. Year. I agree. I I, I think he's a three-year guy. I mean, a minimum, to be honest with you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the question was: Is he in over his head? Is he the right guy for the job? Right. right. I mean, that was the that was the question. As we sit here today on September thirteenth, I still think he was the right hire at that time. I do. Yeah. I think he was the right hire. I think he will have success. I did not anticipate this valley this early on the learning curve. I did not, right. and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. But the key is he has to learn from this, and we have to see growth not only from this team but from him moving forward. I think we will. I don't know how much it's going to be from week two to week three. I hope it's visible and obvious, right? Look, Drew Pine can win a lot of games for this team. He can. He's going to need a running game. He's going to need help up front. That has to get better. No question about it if that happens they're going to win games and then you're going to start to get that goodwill again and if they can you know get jeremiah love to commit and you know all of these different things you know the goodwill will start to come back but we have to see the progress so again i think he's the right man for the job you know is he in over his head maybe on maybe in preparation on saturdays but everywhere else i think he's fine he just has to get better at what he's not doing well right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I I don't think Yeah, I I completely agree with everything that you just said. 
right there. I, I don't think that we're going to see, and I don't think that we should see Marcus Freeman, you know, booted out the door for losing a right. couple of games early on. Again, there, there was going to be, there were, there, there were going to be some lessons learned on the job. Like I saw it a couple of years ago when Neil Ivy, you know, we took over sure. for Muffet McGraw. You're talking sure. about, uh, you know, it's the exact same thing. First time head coach taking right. over for, you know, somebody that was very successful. Yes. yes. Her, in her situation, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Brian Kelly's not a Hall of Famer, but, <laughs> but you know, he no. obviously was the all time winningest, you know, coach in the history of the program. Whether you agree with, you know, <laughs> love Brian Kelly or hey, look, Abram, the, la- but, the latter half of his career at Notre Dame was really good. Yes. Yes. And there were lessons that Neil Ivey had to learn on the job, you know, like game time decisions and a lot of this different stuff. They were a 500 team that first year. Some, you know, some things got away from her and some different points, but they went to the sweet 16 in year number two and were an eyelash, basically a steal and a bucket away from going to the elite eight, you know, and playing UConn in the elite eight last season. So, you know, she was able to learn some lessons right away. Now, women's basketball compared to football, even though women's basketball at Notre Dame has obviously been very successful and won a couple of national championships, you know, the spotlight is obviously much greater on football at Notre Dame. So every little thing that Marcus Freeman did or didn't do was going to be blown up. But when you lose to Marshall, it blows it up and the spotlight and the glare gets even brighter. I still think that he is a very good coach who, who, essentially has to learn how to become a head coach, but he's learning that on the job right now. Yeah, absolutely agree. And again, way more bumps than I anticipated. No doubt about that. But we had to anticipate some bumps. I just didn't think those bumps would equal a loss, you know, in week two. I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. And that's the disappointing part of it too, because as we've said many, many times, it's easy to fix the mistakes after you get a W than it is after you take an L. And especially when you take an L by a team you were favored to beat by three touchdowns. So, you know, there's a lot riding on Saturday, to be honest with you, more so than just wearing green jerseys. You know, you got to go out and make a statement. And at this point, I'll just take a win. Yeah, I mean, we already got people complaining about green jerseys for this Saturday (laughs) as well, who are ready to blame the green jerseys for whatever problems they, you know, they might have (laughs) against Cal Saturday. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, exactly. and look, I'm not a Brian, I'm not a Brian Kelly apologist by any stretch of the imagination. And Brian Kelly is a really good, is a really good football coach. Now you can talk about what he is as a person, you know, all these different things, but I said this going in, you know, when it's, it's easy to write off 42 consecutive wins over non-ranked teams because they're non-ranked teams. You're supposed to win those games, but you're talking about a guy with a ton of experience yeah. as a college football head coach, and it might not have looked the prettiest all the time. It definitely didn't look the prettiest in in those big games. Sure, we know sure. that. That was but the knock. He won a lot of football games. He figured right. out a way to win a lot of football games. You know, so love him or not, yeah, a lot of experience and it took care of that. We're seeing a guy sure. who is who is not cutting his teeth at Grand Valley State. He's cutting his teeth at Notre or Dame. Cent- or Central Michigan or Cincinnati. I mean, those, right. I mean, 
you know, Brian Kelly had the the normal stair step to a big time head coach, you know, and and Marcus Freeman didn't have that opportunity. And uh, you know, again, do I think he was the right decision at the time? I still do. Yes, Me too. but he's got work to do. I guess that's the yeah. best way to put it. He's got work to do, man. I will say, you know, like when you listen to some of these press conferences now, because that was the other thing, you know, that I that, that we had touched on every now and then coming into the season, like. What are those press conferences going to be like when the questions get a little bit tougher and they're not all softballs? And, and yeah, you know, he's gotten some tougher questions. And I have noticed now, now there's some, you know, he, he answers different questions differently, but there have been a few more word salads, you know, kind of tossed into the bowl <laughs> over the last uh, couple of weeks <laughs> as the questions have become a little bit tougher at times. I mean, nobody so, does a word salad like Brian Kelly, but that's right. Yeah, I I have a feeling he's going to be dancing around because he's not meeting the media today. It's just the coordinators. So I I am interested to hear what they have to say as well. But, you know, on Thursday's press conference for Marcus Freeman, they're going to get questions. He's going to get questions about the questions that were asked. What comes up today. today, You know what I mean? So he's going to have there's going to be some interesting responses, I'm sure. I think so, too. All right, Vince. Well, I'm going to have to wrap it up. I got to get heading out over to Notre Dame because, again, we've got those. uh, post-practice interviews tommy reese yes, Al golden are both going to be coming out drew pine's going to be out for that matter as uh, well so we've got kind of a who's who out there that's right tonight but, let me know how that goes buddy all right sounds good well thanks for uh jumping on early tonight and uh, i guess have a good rest of the week i'll uh, that's right. get the mailbag coming up tomorrow but tons of tons of content coming up for the rest of oh, the week yes. here on ivy nation Rate, review, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. We appreciate it as always. And we will talk to you tomorrow on Ivy Nation Sports Talk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.